and friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast. Ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Ooh, are we clashing, Jesse Rubinoff? Is this a clash right off the top? I think we're far enough away from each other. I thought this was red. It looks kind of salmon. There's a pink over there. I think I think our stylist, Sportsnet style, I Sportsnet style, on Instagram, maybe a little happy. bit upset at us that we yeah. didn't talk this out. It's all right. There's a little clash going on here. I think I got dressed first, so that's on you. <laughs> Busy day on the network. <laughs> Everything from Indy, I'll take it to the Calgary Stampede, and of course. A little Blue Jays baseball and the Sportsnet family of channels, but let me throw Tim and friends right in there today because we have a show for you fresh off of inking his seven-year, just over $68 million deal with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Johnny Gaudreau will join us to discuss the new home and, of course, the old home in Calgary with rumors and headlines swirling like Goudreau won't ever be viewed the same in Calgary. There should be an interesting conversation with the league's second leading scorer last year. And as I pointed out, near the end of the year, the most even strength points since Yaromir Jagr in 1996. It's crazy. It's obviously a big loss for the Calgary Flames. And we promoted the fact that Johnny Goudreau is going to be joining us on this show. And some people wrote in... Uh, Kay writes in and says, what fun, fresh insult will he deliver to us today? <laughs> Ron, uh, ask him why he and his agent continually told the Flames and the media that he wanted to stay in Calgary when he clearly did not. Why did he decide to screw over the team that drafted him and gave him a start in the NHL? Nobody's solid. Said he had to stay, but why lie about it? Jesse, are you trying to butter up Johnny Goudreau by reading these tweets into the show? What are you doing here? No, no I'm, just trying to, I'm just trying to say we... The, the fans of the show and Flames fans yeah. want more answers. Yeah, I think, although I, your last one there didn't accept the answer that Johnny said, <laughs> which was, I decided at 11 p.m. that I wasn't going back. That's what he said yesterday, right? Yes. We'll get more into this, but these are fans. We understand the fanatics, fanatics within yeah, the fans. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. However... Some of that is unfair, some of it is fair, and we'll try and walk the line with Johnny Gaudreau when he joins us. I think we made the point yesterday that a lot of it was fans being fans and it was unfair. I pointed out that I just thought, you know, he was, he's American and wants to live in, in the U.S. That was my opinion on it. But people are entitled to their opinions, just like he's entitled to his decision, right. whatever and he we'll, wants to uh, do. We'll walk that road with him a little it's bit. It's going to be fun. Walk that road a little bit later on. I feel a little bit of pressure, to be honest with you. To have him on? No, we got him on. It's a big guest, and there's a lot of people in Calgary that want some answers here, and I'm the translator, as I often see myself in this role, right. and I feel like there's a little bit of pressure to try and get what Calgary fans want to hear because yeah. they didn't really get that yesterday, and I think we'll have more of the opinion on this and first things first. You'll right? just have to, yeah, you'll just have to powder the top of the head a little bit. Why before, am I before the, No, am I'm just saying. Right now? No, I mean, if you're feeling the pressure, I'm just saying. Like, if you start just... Might have to. I say I'm sweating. No, not right now, but like maybe, maybe before the interview. No, I feel, I feel the pressure, pressure to make sure that I am respectful to Johnny Gaudreau yeah. and respectful to Calgary fans. It is a fine wants, balance. Yeah, want some answers here. It's a fine balance, and it'll be uh, it'll be kind of touch and go on how far I go, uh, depending on what he gives us back. He did wait, say. Way to pull the curtain back. That's fun. 
He did say uh, yesterday, it's something I was not going to talk about today. I was hoping to get to that after. Right. Is after today with us? I don't know. That would be awesome if it was. I don't, I don't know. No. I honestly don't know. Yeah, maybe you and I talked be. about it coming into the yeah. studio. We don't know exactly what we're going to get from them. But as always, we'll try and be respectful, yet get the answers that people totally. want Totally. Love it. All right. Also on today's show, I've been telling folks for some reason or another there haven't been a Canadian quarterback that has had any success in the Canadian Football League since Rush Jackson, who retired 1960. I mean, with all due respect, Julio <laughs> Caravada, Greg Vavra, Brandon Bridge, Jerry Dottilio, it's been a long time coming since we have had a Canuck really make an impact at quarterback. Nathan Rourke of the BC Lions in Oakville, Ontario is doing just that. In fact, his first couple of games as a starter in the CFL went about as well as, uh, about as well as the flight of this remarkable paper airplane. This is, you're on a bit of a heater here. Talked on the, the culmination yeah. <laughs> of the paper airplane that ended up in the net yeah. and got a round of applause. I, I, I wouldn't even know how to make a paper airplane, let alone have it go that far. Yeah, I'm not a good paper airplane. No. Very impressive, though. Great I am, performance. I am remarkably impressed. Shouldn't do that, though. Like, pointing, pointing out a yeah, fact and just, it, you know. Get out Everyone, they shouldn't be throwing Someone things. Someone should shouldn't get it in the eyes. Right. I mean, but they could have, theoretically. <laughs> so if you're with your 14-year-old son and he makes a paper airplane he's holding it up, you grab the paper airplane from your son, theoretical, that you don't have, you would take it out of his hand? Yeah. Yeah. I was at a Leaf game when I was a kid when people were throwing stuff on the ice. Like, as a young kid. And people were, I think it was after the Alfredson, the Tucker hit on Alfredson, or the Alfredson hit on Tucker. Mm-hmm. And people littered the ice with stuff, and my dad was very stern with me. Right. You do not throw things on the playing surface. Yeah. I, I feel like you're a spoil sport. What does that mean? I feel like a paper airplane is not the same as littering the ice <laughs> like they did in Cleveland with <laughs> beer bottles. I feel like a paper plane, though it could <laughs> get someone in the eye, yeah. the odds of that are like one in a trillion. It's all fun and games until someone gets a paper airplane corner right into the eye. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We will talk to Nathan Rourke in our final hour. Sprinkle in. Oh Oh my god, Jesse, there's a paper airplane! Honestly, I was wondering what the the hell Carson was doing. I just hear rustling. I knew all along what paper he was doing. Almost got him in so the eye. So dangerous! Almost got him in the eye. So dangerous, Impressive. Carson, that paper airplane! Impressive ducking. Yeah. Good for you, Timmy. Go to the way. Yesterday, Carson, yesterday. how did you do that so quickly? Yesterday, I'm going to need a lesson after, after the show. Throw that over here. I'm going to guard my eyes. But throw that over. You can? Yesterday, you fell off that chair. Do I you did. really want me to throw this over yeah, towards yeah. you? Yeah, now I, mean, I know why you're worried about length, the paper if airplane. it's outside arm's length, I'm not making a play for it. That was just... Unacceptable. Died a slow death. One, one more. Here, over here. Okay, go ahead. Just start talking. I was talking about the Jays. Were you? Throw it. Just throw it. Nah, not yeah, great. His was way better. Not great. I stand corrected. <laughs>
bizarre Jays game last night. We'll talk about that and the Zach Rinke versus Alec Manoa matchup tonight. I think we got a show. Uh, though Jesse, as we always do, will let the viewers be the judge of that. With paper airplanes flying at my head, let's do some first things first. A discussion of the top stories of the day. So let it be, Jim Poplinski. Love it. First things first. Close. Lived across the hall from a, one of Jim Poplinski's sons at uh, Western. Oh, yeah. A little fun fact. Nice. We get did going. he play hockey? Yeah, good hockey Is player. it unfair to say, did he play hockey? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah both of hockey, those things? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeses to both. Definitely. Okay. Correct. Uh, okay, we talked a lot yesterday about the depleted Royals lineup missing 10 players due to their vaccination status. So, of course, the Blue Jays lost the series opener last night. Kevin Gossman looked pretty good in his return from an ankle injury. But the Jays' offense could only manage one run against rookie starter Angel Serpa and the Royals' bullpen. So what happened here? I can't believe you would take a paper airplane away from your side. Well, you are I don't have a son yet, so it's a hypothetical. I might uh, baseball it. happened. I guess your daughter could do the same thing. Right. If you have a hypothetical daughter, yes. too. Yes, <laughs> exactly. That's good. Hy- uh, hypothetical. Um, you asked me what happened? Yeah, precisely. Baseball happened. baseball happened. And I warned of this in the past and will continue to do this in the future. Baseball is a fickle beast. The worst teams ever, like ever, since they stopped calling teams like the, uh, the Brooklyn Bridegrooms or the Pittsburgh Alleghenies, the absolute worst teams in Major League Baseball history have won like 40 to 50 games, right? Yeah. That is going to happen. That said, you basically lost to a AAA team last night. The part I wish is, I wish this wasn't game two of the John Schneider era because I wonder if we might have heard a little something different from the manager who some have suggested is in there in part to hold people accountable. Like, I wonder if it wasn't game two, if we heard, we would have heard mm-hmm. a little bit more from Skip other than this happens. Like, I wonder if we would have heard from pissed manager. I wonder if it was or will be different five, 10, 15 games down the road or moreover if this game took place a little longer into his tenure. Yeah, I think you're really onto something there. And uh, John Schneider met with the players prior to the game yesterday and expressed belief in them and told them he was going to you know, hold them accountable and stuff. So it, it's an interesting sort of response by the players to lose a game like that to a triple-A team, a double-A pitcher. Not a good scenario. Legitimately a double-A pitcher, although he, he has gone scoreless basically until the yeah. – or- was it Chapman who hit the home yes, run last night? Yes, yeah. Yes. The Chapman home run uh, was the first run against him as a major league starter in now three starts. I so get, maybe there's something there in Zerpa. Uh, Zerpa. What I, a I, great name. I want to get your I'm opinion. Zerpa. Zerpa. Uh, I want to get your opinion on something uh, that I'm grappling with. And, and you look at the, the numbers for the year. Like the Jays are two, batting 238 with runners in scoring position. That's 25th in the majors. Their ERA is, as a team is 20th in the majors. Like, they just lost to a triple-A team last night. Is it possible they're just not that good? They're not as good as we collectively I wondered that, like, with the Charlie Montoyo firing, I wondered if we had just overrated what they had. But I don't know that you could have thought that Barrios would be as bad as he has been to this point. I don't know if you would have looked at Bo Bichette. Like, the one piece that I think that they're really missing was... Not necessarily Marcus Simeon, but what Marcus Simeon did last year. Mm -hmm. Like, he legitimately had a monster year, and that helped lengthen out that lineup. Like, I don't know if the Alejandro Kirk bump that you're seeing is the same as what Marcus Simeon did last year, but legitimately, their offense was 
one of, if not the best, in Major League Baseball last year. And could we have underrated how much Marcus Simeon played into that role? I, maybe, mm -hmm. but this much? Yeah, it, that, it's, it's a good point. And I look at like what Ross Stripling has done from the pitching rotation. Obviously, it's not to the extent of Robbie Ray, but it's almost like a bit of a Robbie Ray light. And then you have the Alejandro Kirk. But maybe it's maybe it's inside Kevin the Gossman room. Kevin Gossman, too, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe it's, yeah, Kevin Gossman, too. Maybe it's inside the clubhouse. Maybe there's something missing there where they're not performing well in, in situations last year that they did. They were better with runners in scoring position a year ago. But and I think there's just something heard, missing. Did you not hear from some of the, as the Charlie Montoyo, you know, has had some time to marinate, that that was perhaps what the problem was? Was that, yes, there was a problem. Yes, there was something not in the room. Yes, there was something in the clubhouse. And maybe it was Charlie yeah. Montoyo. Yeah. And not holding people accountable that need to be held accountable. But he wasn't there last night. No, John Schneider was. And that's why I wish this was about 15 games into the tenure to yeah. see what the reaction would be because you can't do it in game two. Yeah. You can't burn a bullet like that in game totally. two. Totally. And they still, have a bit of an easier, they still have a bit of an easier road here, all things considered, despite the loss last night. So see. There was a real the opportunity here to kind of erase the taste of that one and six road trip with a perfect homestand. Yeah. Now the best you can do is five and one which would still be okay. Caleb Joseph coming up. <laughs> it's asking him to take the next three. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, Caleb Joseph coming up uh, a little bit later in the show. We'll continue the Blue Jays conversation, but it has been a quiet day in NHL free agency. Nazem Kadri is the biggest name remaining on the open market. The Colorado Avalanche would reportedly like to re-sign him, but it will put them over the cap. Sportsnet's Eric Francis tweeted, Flames still talking to Kadri, but not for the big dollars he's chasing. If price tag comes down, Flames are in the mix. That said, if price comes down, he'd likely return to Colorado. Meanwhile, fans in Calgary still stinging from Johnny Goudreau's decision to sign with the Blue Jackets, as you saw at the beginning of the show, and the answers he gave at yesterday's introductory news conference in Columbus. Are you surprised by the reaction in Calgary? Literally a tough one that both you and I can see both sides of. Johnny wanted a change. That seems to be obvious at this point in time, but I also understand why Flames fans wanted more. They essentially got nothing from that press conference yesterday, right? Yeah. And the only thing that I can point to today is perhaps he will talk to us a little bit more about it today. I mean, going on with the Canadian station, he would have to assume that he will get questions about the Calgary Flames. The one thing that obviously stuck out that a lot of people... and. I'll say this to Johnny because I believe it to be true. Like, you ask me questions every day. Mm -hmm. I, I tell you how hard I think that is every day, right? Yeah. Like, to sit up with people watching you every day and answer questions, even for a guy who just graduated from BC with a degree in PR, is tough. Totally. It's tough. And the one quote that everyone gravitated towards was, it was best for us not to go back to Calgary. And people are wondering, if you came to that conclusion, why didn't you come to that conclusion before? And the hindsight being 2020 on this is ridiculous. Like, what were they going to do? Even if he came to that conclusion halfway through the year, were they going to trade him in the middle of a banner year and a division title and everyone sitting on every desk across Canada and saying, I think the Calgary Flames are best suited to making a long run in the playoffs? Not like, a chance. No, none of that was going to happen. So... I understand why Calgary fans are pissed because they're in the moment, but I think if you take like a little step back and understand that Johnny just wanted to change, they'd be okay with it. It's just 
sticking in the craw is less money and Columbus. And I understand that. That's why I can see both sides. It's part of a, a bigger uh, thing here. Do you think athletes as a whole owe fans explanations in, in this type of scenario? I think fans want them, mm -hmm. without a doubt. But I also think that it, Johnny Gaudreau could have sat up there and said, I just wanted to change. Yeah. And just reiterated that and not given the one where people take and run with it, it was best for us not to go back yeah. to Calgary. Because that's, like, even I watched Kenry and Danielle Me show last night, right? Central. And plug. that was a big chunk of what their reaction was, was one sentence from an entire press conference. And maybe that's just 2022, and maybe that's not fair, but we'll ask Johnny Gaudreau a little later on if some of this was unfair, because mm -hmm. Eric Francis went at it, uh, Oilers Nation, obviously, <laughs> Went at it, um, you know, this is offside. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was offside. Like, there, there are a lot of shocked folks. And, and maybe we'll get a better explanation from Johnny Goudreau today, or at least I hope we do. Uh, the Blue Jackets visit Calgary on uh, January 23rd. Circle it in so. your calendars. How about the Devils? Yeah. Like, everyone thought when he said family reasons, it was either Philly or New Jersey. Here's GM Tom Fitzgerald of the Devils on whether or not he thought that they were the favorites to land Goudreau. Yeah, I would say I, I thought because of the conversation I, I, I had with, with him and his wife, Meredith, um, that we, we really connected. And, and I know Johnny Goudreau. I mean, my older boy played with him at, at, uh, at Boston College and my that same son was his brother, Maddie's roommate for all four years. So... I know his mom and dad well, and um, yeah, I felt I felt that we were going to be a destination um, for him. But I'm guessing so were other teams that were were in on him, and um, you know we put our best foot forward. And like I said, he, he chose to go to Columbus for the reasons he he, he chose that like he could have gone anywhere. Um, and we wish him all the best. He took it a little better than Calgary did. <laughs> yeah, but he, he didn't spend eight years. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Although he did spend about four yeah, years. Not fair. A few years kidding. at BC yeah. with the family, I yeah. understood. Now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess the, the biggest name that's still out there is uh, Nazem Kadri. Yeah, this is, has the, and, and maybe this happened to Johnny a little bit and we'll ask him, but has the, has the market dried up here? Like, did we overestimate what the market would bear with just a $1 million? Like, so Malkin... Announces he's going to free agency, resigns in Pittsburgh. It comes to his senses. Evander Kane yeah. announces he's going to free agency, mm -hmm. goes back to Edmonton. And Johnny Gaudreau, as we saw by the headlines, mystified everyone, mm -hmm. taking what he took to go to Columbus. Like, is there a possibility that Kadri is going back to Colorado? They don't have much cap space. They've got to move some guys to do the that. The number is 3.9 in what they have left, but could Calgary jump in here on Kadri? I know what you said about Eric Francis's tweet. Flames still talking to Kadri, but not mm -hmm. for the big dollars he's chasing. If the price tag comes down, Flames are in the mix, but then he'd likely return to Colorado if price comes down. But what about like a, a $5.5 million range? Yeah. Well, I think what's, what's happening here is Kadri's 32 years old, obviously a difference maker, but he is 32 years old. And I think the team that is willing to overpay for Kadri's services is probably going to be the one that lands him. And if there is not a team out there that is willing to overpay, then he's, I think, waiting to see if he can go back to Colorado. What about Kadri in a Daryl Sutter system? Does he want to go to Calgary, though? I know it's a sore subject, but... Does he want to go from Colorado, where he had 87 sure. points playing on a stacked team, to now... 
Well, could he? Calgary's still very good, obviously. Could but. he slide onto that first line? Yeah, why not? Be interesting to see what Johnny does. Uh, also, Leafs flame, uh, claim a former flame. I shouldn't have used the word claim. <laughs> the Leafs get yes. a former flame. Yes. I tripped myself up. Kelly Yarncroft has signed four years. Four years. That's a big one. Yeah. At $2.1 million. This is a useful piece that can do a lot of things, and I think that's what the Leafs valued in this, even though it's four years for a 30-year-old. They're looking for a lot of uh, medium reward, low risk type guys, it seems like. With the Jordy Ben yesterday, the Victor Mete. But this guy can play both wings and center, right? Yeah, like this is kind of something useful yes. in their sheath. Definitely. Uh, someone probably going to have to go given the salary cap situation. It feels like we're going to be talking about salary caps right up until opening night because yeah, there's, I think there's not many of, teams that have room. A anywhere. lot of Leaf fans yelling at you right now, Justin yeah. Hall. Justin yes. Hall. Yes. Justin Hall. Uh, okay, the 150th Open Championship continuing today at St. Andrews. We'll have full highlights coming up later in Thank Golf. It's Friday, but the story of the day, unfortunately, Tiger Woods missing the cut. Tiger finished at 9 over par after 75 today, and it was an emotional scene as he walked up the 18th fairway at the old course for quite possibly the last time. Hmm. What an unbelievable scene. The ominous sky mm -hmm. in the backdrop and Tiger walking up. Do you quite possibly the last time, like are you just suggesting St. Andrews? Are you suggesting the Open Championship? Are you suggesting both of those things? No, I think Just primarily St. Andrews. Andrews. Uh, I think he, he wants to play in the majors. He's made that much clear. Uh, but St. Andrews isn't going to be in the rotation until at the very least 2027. And he doesn't know if he's going to be able to. It takes so much to get him to play 18 holes nowadays. I can't imagine five years from now him doing this again. No, I, I, I wonder if Tiger's not in a race against the clock along with his doctors. Like, yeah. them all knowing that he might not ever feel better, and as you age, this is only going to get worse, and him coming to this very emotional, as you can tell, realization that he may never be the golfer that he once was, even after the initial yeah. injuries. Yeah, and it's just tough, because if he can't compete at a course he says is his favorite, that exists, then where is he going to be the Tiger of old? Uh, Tiger talked about the moment walking up 18 and whether or not that would be, in fact, his final round at St. Andrews. At St. Andrews, yeah. It was very emotional for me. Um, I've been coming here since 1995, and um, I don't know when the, I think the next one comes around in what, 230, uh, 2030, and um, I don't know if I'll be physically able to play by then. Um, so. You know, to me, it felt like that this might have been my last British Open here at St. Andrews, and the fans, uh, the ovation, and the warmth—it um, was an unbelievable feeling. Uh, I understand what, what Jack and Arnold, you know, had gone through in the past, and um, I was kind of feeling that way in there uh, at, at the end, and just the, 
just the collective warmth and, and understanding. Uh, they understand what, what golf's all about and uh, what it takes to be an Open champion. And um, you know, I've been lucky enough and fortunate enough to have won this twice here. And uh, it, uh, it it felt uh, felt very emotional just just because you know I just don't know what my health is going to be like. And um, I, I feel like I will be able to play future British Opens, but I don't know if I'll be able to play that long enough or you know, and it may come back, well, when it comes back around here, well, I'll still be playing. Uh, there is one thing that I need to ask you, and we've run out of time. Oh, no. The faux pas that you pointed out to me yeah. yesterday about the British Open. He said it twice. Was just uttered by your hero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you, we can use it. We're golf fine. legend. Yeah, totally fine. Tiger Woods. Yeah, no. You have now retracted. Oh, 100%. What you believe to be the proper way to discuss the British Open slash Open Championship. And now you've completely flip-flopped. We're completely in the clear. In fact, I'm going to call it British Open for the foreseeable future. Still to come. Thank <laughs> Golf It's Friday with our friend Flip-Flop Jesse. <laughs> Johnny Gajoba is also going to Johnny Gajoba. Johnny Hockey is joining us here. His decision to go to Columbus, we will discuss with the man himself, BC Lions Canadian quarterback sensation Nathan Rourke. Plus, up next, we talk Jays with our friend Vibes Coordinator Caleb Joseph. Next, it's a fun show. It's Friday. Let's go. Well, let's get this out of the way. That was a bad loss. Not a great one. Yeah, they they did not play well. That's a Kansas City team that had 10 players missing. Yeah, it didn't matter where, where I was signing. I think uh, our decision was it was best for us not to go back to Calgary. And it was just time for me to make a little bit of a change, I think. I, I, I'll leave it at that. And not going over well here in Calgary. Not going over with uh, Flames fans. Certainly not going over well with Calgary Flames management. Across the Swelkin Bridge, never hesitated, never slowed down. Without the message to everybody, I'm still standing. I'm still here. I still want to be a golfer. You could tell that the Sens really like. Did you almost fall out of your chair? <laughs> What's going on with that chair? <laughs> <laughs>
that ish happens. It's also one that I don't really understand. So can you explain how something like an Angel Zerpa versus a Kevin Gossman can end up the way it ended up last night? It's the unknown. You know, a, a lot of these Kansas City Royals players are fairly unknown. And look, you're, you're looking at a situation where they have had a number of guys that are not on the trip due to some protocols. And so it's a great opportunity for a lot of their system to get a look. And I, I can tell you from a major league standpoint, when you don't know guys uh, outside of just some numerical values that somebody has given you from maybe a double A or a triple A or some spring training stats, those are, are they're just numbers and you need hunches. You need to know exactly kind of where you can go on the uh, pitching side of it. It it does. It throws you for a loop a little bit. And these are trap games, right? They're trap games in that, okay, Blue Jays are probably thinking this team is decimated because of the protocols. We just need to show up, play our game, and we're good to go. And a lot of times you don't bring that energy. You just kind of wait for something to happen, and you blink, and uh, you get beat by the Kansas City Royals. But there's just been a lot going on in that organization over the last 24, 48 hours. Uh, hope to expect them to kind of bring some enthusiasm and jump out to an early lead, hold it, and uh, win the next few games going into the All-Star break. Yeah, the part of me was just like, okay, so the dude at Franklin High School or who played in the Cape Cod League is like, you watch a pitcher, you jump on that pitcher, and you hit that pitcher. Like, every day at Franklin, I'm sure you didn't have the scouting reports that you get at a major league level, although I don't know how seriously they take it in Tennessee, and maybe you do get those scouting reports, but you just you watch a couple warm-up pitches, and you see what the guy's got, and you go hit. Like, is, am I being way too rudimentary when talking about something like this? No, I, there's something to be said about that, and especially with players that are new and fresh and trying to prove something. Look, this is kind of an open tryout for that Kansas City Royals team. And like I said, they're trapped games. Those guys are playing with their hair on fire, trying to Wally pip somebody, right? right. And, and maybe I can make something happen in three days and make manager Mike Matheny keep me around. Uh, this is every player's dream. And imagine probably four or five, six of them making debuts or being up for the first time it, uh, it kind of sends a jolt of energy through that clubhouse. So it is that simple. It really is. And I don't think they're looking into exactly what Kevin Gosman does. They're just happy to, to have some major league dirt under the spikes. And they're going to try everything possible to make an impact. And these are games that are very easy to lose. Hopefully the, uh, the Blue Jays are, will respond after getting hit in the mouth today. Okay, so uh, speaking of impact, what kind of impact do you expect to see from, from the John Schneider era in Toronto, however long that lasts? Well, it's a great question. I, I had a lot of really good conversations with him in 2020 when I was on the team. And first of all, just want to say how good of a guy Charlie Montoyo is, how amazing of a person he is, uh, genuine, just salt-of-the-earth type of guys wish him well. John Schneider comes in with the respect of the players immediately, and I found that to be true when I walked into that clubhouse that a lot of players had so many uh, deep-rooted relationships with him, the Bijos, Bichette, Guerreros, um, Guriel. These guys have played for him. They've been around him for a long time. And I think he really has the ability to pay attention to the details of the game. And those, I think, are important to him from the conversations we were having back in 2020. And for a team that has kind of struggled in and out with pitching, in and out with 
hitting. The defense has actually been pretty solid. Some base running blunders there just were times where this team uh, under Montoya, it just kind of made you scratch your head a little bit. They, sometimes they looked a little bit lackadaisical. Uh, it just the direction seemed to be a little bit off. And so I think John Schneider is going to come in and bring a lot of that to the club. He's going to bring a lot of, um, not, I don't want to say discipline, but uh, accountability. accountability. Yeah. 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 And being able to get 26 guys pulling in the same direction on the same rope is a uh, huge. And, I just find that they're they're not a divided clubhouse by any means, but you got to answer three questions as as a team, as a manager, as an organization. Who are you? Where are you going? And how do you get there? And of course, everybody knows the where 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 do you want to go? And that's the World Series. But what is the identity of this team, and how are they going to get there? I think John Schneider has a lot of those answers. I think he has some really good ideas to really sure up that clubhouse, bring some leadership and accountability. And uh, I, I heard it from uh, Mr. Merrick, a, a friend of mine now, that there are only 12 inches between a pat on the back and a kick in the you-know-what. And so sometimes one or the other is needed. And I think John Schneider will be able to bring that message. And hopefully you see the Blue Jays, they're able to play a really tight Major League Baseball game because it, the, the margin of error is really, really small in the big leagues. And you can't give away free bases. You can't have mental lapses out there. Physical errors will happen, but there needs to be a level of play that this team gets to, and I think they will under the direction of John Schneider. It's funny. I once asked a major league general manager how much of the manager's job does the general public see, and he said about 10%. 10% is what you see, and what people are seeing right now is, one, well, maybe there's some more aggressiveness in the base pass or some hit and runs. The other one is the lineup construction and the shuffle Vladdy goes to two Bo goes to four what, what do you like how much value even do you put into roster and or lineup construction because there is a big deal made about it yesterday and what it'll be moving forward because it looks the same today right analytically speaking a lot of teams are going with their quote best hitter in the two hole and that had been a talking point for the Blue Jays and, and, and the media in, in trying to get Vladimir into that position so that he possibly gets that additional A-B at the top of the order. And I've, I've been under the camp that I, I would love to see Bo hitting deeper in the order because he gets so many hits. I think he's probably still in the top 10 and just hits in the big leagues. And I love run producers. I personally still believe in the run batted in. And so you're talking about protecting – Vladdy with uh, Kirk in, in the three hole. I, I just like the shuffle. Remember the Red Sox did this, what, a month or so ago when they came into town, they had shuffled Bogarts, Devers, and Martinez, three perennial all-stars with no ego. And it really jump-started their offense. And it just sometimes allows or forces a pitcher to pitch differently, uh, make different pitches at different times, depending on traffic. And a lot of that is analytically proven. Uh, out of that two hole. So I think it's big and I find it pretty amazing that he was able to do it within 24 hours, really a big manager. And that just shows you that he has not only their trust, but he has those open lines of communication that on day two or even day one, he can call a number of different guys and have that honest conversation and say, look, for the betterment of you as an individual, for the betterment of us as a team, 
we would like to see this happen and there not be any egos and those egos pushed aside and i'll tell you there's no egos in that clubhouse i was in there in 20 don't know a, a few of the the newcomers but those guys in there they want to win they project a very let's have fun mantra but let me tell you those guys want to win they want to win now and whatever it takes i'm sure they'll they'll agree to it and one of those examples uh, happened yesterday with Vladdy and, and Bo kind of shifting around in the batting order. Yeah, and from what I heard, Vladdy liked the idea of being able to watch a couple of bats before he got up there. So the respect is there. But to your point, 25th with runners in scoring position, and you got a guy in Bo Bichette who's sixth in the AL in hits. So you put a guy who's getting a lot of hits in a spot where he might get a lot of hits with runners in scoring position. Like that, to me, it's almost basic math. I, it, it seems that way to me. Yeah. Now, I'm, like you said, just a country boy from Franklin, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> I just know, you know, when you're when you are catching behind the plate and there is a guy that can get a base hit, those are the most threatening guys when you are trying to navigate around a lineup. You're not as worried about a big swing and miss, a big power threat in the lineup with guys in scoring position. You're worried about that guy that will quote, choke and poke and go to right field. They'll they'll hit your low and away slider for a blooper over the first baseman's head, or they'll pull a change up down the left field line. And that's what Bo does. He has such an amazing approach, and he's really tough to pitch to. I, I can remember trying to get him out in that second startup of spring training at the Rogers Center, and there was not many places to go. And so those are the dangerous hitters in a lineup, and I love the fact that he's down there where he can potentially – use some of those base hits to produce runs for the Jays. I only went to Franklin because I didn't know what Liscombe was. Liscombe? 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 Liscombe. It is, uh, it's a school really close to Vanderbilt. So I've been lying for years telling people I just went to Vanderbilt. They know <laughs> I'm a Commodore, not a Bison. Uh, appreciate you, my dude. You got it. Thank you. Uh, there is Caleb Joseph joining us here at YYZ Backstop on Twitter. He's already bought in to the Toronto Angle. I'm a fan of the Nashville Predators. We should have asked him about Cali Yarncroft and what the Toronto Maple Leafs were getting in Cali. All right, time for a break. A reminder, Johnny Goudreau will join us in about 20 minutes' time. But after the break, it's Friday. It's a major. It's Thank Golf It's Friday with the one and only Jesse Rubinoff next right here on Tim and Friends. Nathan Rourke, Johnny Goudreau, that's a good show. Not a bad Thank Golf Tiger It's Friday. Woods. Tiger Woods, pretty good. Still to come, BC Lions' Nathan Rourke will join us. The Columbus Blue Jackets, Johnny Goudreau, still not used to saying that, will also join us in about 15 minutes' time or less than. But Jesse Rubinoff, it's Friday. Thank golf it's Friday is what it is. Brought to you by Golf Town, our friends at Golf Town. Golf clap. Uh, the 150th Open Championship at the home of golf. The old course at St. Andrews. And we got to see this man, Tiger Woods, six over entering Friday, playing possibly his final competitive round at St. Andrews, a which place where he has obviously British won. Open. Which he called the British Open. Yeah, he did indeed. Uh, par five fifth, which uses a shared green. Tiger going for it in two. Hits the green, but his ball ends up closer to the wrong pin. And really, I mean, it's a cool shot. But what really he struggled with in these two days is putting, he three-putted for par. Next hole, Woods, tee shot, finds the bunker. You could tell it was bad after that swing. Leads to a bogey, shoots a one over 37 on the front nine, it's grinding to the finish. 
grinding to the finish though. Par 4, 16th. Tiger continues to struggle. Third shot comes up short, goes back into the bunker, results in a double bogey. Later, Woods takes possibly his final competitive walk up 18 at the old course. Great pictures. Greatest figures in the history of the game have made that walk. We just watched another one do just that. Coming home, that's St. Andrews. Emotional, obviously. One of the things he said afterwards that he saw Rory teeing off on one and Rory tipped his cap to Tiger and that was something that I think got the waterworks going a little bit. He misses the cut, shoots a three over 75. You gotta wonder if we'll ever see Tiger at St. Andrews again. Elsewhere, Storm Dustin clouds, Johnson. By the way. Yeah, very ominous and picturesque. DJ. That's fitting. Live Golf's DJ. Sits at nine under for the tournament. Meanwhile, 56-year-old John Daly also making some noise. Part by fifth. Drains the long eagle putt. However, the 1995 Open champion would miss the cut at three over. I think Daly and Tiger would be my dream twosome at the Open Championship. Uh, another shot of the day. <laughs> Victor Hovland. Part four, 15th. Second shot from the rough. Rolls into the cup. The first player to eagle the 15th this week. Hovland three back in the lead at 10 under. To Rory McIlroy, par three, 11, tee shot. Finds the green, results in one of his three straight birdies. Rory came to play the odds-on favorite to win this golf tournament, par four, 17th. McIlroy, birdie putt from over 22 feet, knocks it down, four under, 68. Moves him to 10 under par, three back of the lead. Meanwhile, the man everyone is chasing Cameron Smith, the Aussie, approach shot on the par four seventh. Settles close to the hole, leads to a birdie, moves him to nine under par. Par five, 14th. The Australian now at 11 under, putting for eagle. Oh, I like the look of this, look at this. Oh, yes! Cameron Smith with an eagle to vault three clear of the field. Tell me more about this uh, Tiger and John Daly thing. <laughs> Can you just let it go, please? Smith looking to become the second person to win the Players' Championship and the Open Championship in the same year. The other one to do it, Jack Nicholas. He's this is pretty good. 13 under heading into the Oh, well, look at this. It's a dog on a... Oh, now it's no longer on the paddleboard. Uh, Corey Connors made the cut. You see the uh, Maple Leaf there. Uh, yeah. 71 on Friday. He's two under, but he's 11 shots back. Uh, one thing that we've sort of been uh, blessed with as golf fans so far this year, great leaderboards. Great leaderboards, and we got another one brewing. Cameron Young, a rookie, two shots back. Obviously, Rory's right there. Victor Hovland's right there. Live Golf's Dustin Johnson is right there. Victor Hovland, at one point when he was starting, was I think at four under, and he was 50 to one. And he was just starting. I was like, these guys are putting up low scores. We'll sprinkle on Victor Hovland there, oh, nice. 50 to one. So we'll be rooting for him over the course of the weekend. You often see uh, dogs on paddle boards with owners wearing a sweater and long pants. No, I feel like that's me a either. Scotland thing. Yeah, me either. Uh, okay, as we recall from last week's edition of the Come Out and Play Challenge, Tim challenged Ken, Carolyn, and Colby with the Longest Drive Showdown. Somehow my invite got lost in the mail. Uh, anyway, long story short, they all got schooled by a seven-year-old, which is absolutely no surprise, and today there's more evidence that they should, have, they should leave the golfing to professionals as Ken challenges the group to the fastest hole. Let's see who buckles under the pressure. I didn't invite anybody. Someone else invited. It wasn't me. 
This is episode two of Come Out and Play presented by Golf Town. We are at Bayview Golf and Country Club in Thornhill, Ontario. Fastest hole, this is the deal. Pick a partner, one of them drives, get in that cart, zoom up, alternate shots till you get to the green, and that is when Preston Cowie putts for both teams. Yeah! Oh, it's the worst drive ever. Is this as fast as cart goes? Get going. I'm gonna blow a hamstring. I blew this. Is that as fast as you can run? <laughs> hey, you can lift your knees when you run. Yes, putt, Preston, putt, putt, putt. Oh, oh, yes! <laughs> Worst time ever. Yeah. Oh, that was good. Good start, that was let's go, Cameron. Good. Start the car. You're in another bunker. Okay, go, 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 go. Oh, I see it. Finish, Preston! Oh. Attaboy, attaboy, attaboy. Nice. Not to throw anyone under the bus, but if you could get a land speed on Colby's run from the cart to the ball, I'd like to see it. Yeah, I'm not going to throw stones about running. You and I ran the 40. I, he was fine. That's pretty quick. I, I got to hand it to, to you and Carolyn. Congratulations on under yeah, they cut two out. and a half. They cut out my chip. It was like a little bump and run. That oh, you're, not happy. Up there. you're not happy oh, yeah, with what they left on the cutting Whatever, I'm fine with that. <laughs> it's too good. Hey? Uh, let's put a wrap on it. That was Thank Golf It's Friday. Thank Golf It's Friday, brought to you by Golf Town. We believe adventure starts at the first tee, so come out and play. I mean, I just, I, I had an eight iron and that was it, and I just punched it up on the green. Are you a, a puncher? No, but I had to because all I had was an 8-iron. Oh, right. Versatile. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cut that out. Actually, yeah. Uh, Johnny Gautreau is coming up next in the show. I know there's folks in Calgary and beyond that want to hear what he has to say. Um, we will talk to Johnny Hockey next right here on Tim and Friends. Tiger and Daly? What? <laughs> Not for you? Time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Sheepdogs. Back here, hour number two on Tim and Friends, Sportsnet 360. BC Lions quarterback and Canadian Nathan Rourke on the way. A visit with Dan and Pat at the Rogers Centre, plus the newsmaker of the day, Johnny Gaudreau, joins us now. You've seen throughout his career, every single season, he improves a little bit on something. It's a sign of a star. Many are saying he's right there for the Hart Trophy with the MVP player of the National Hockey League. Johnny Gaudreau, he's back to video game mode. Trying to get him behind coverage. Johnny Gaudreau, right in, scores! Gaudreau, shooting, scores! Here comes Johnny Gaudreau on a breakaway. He shoots, he scores! Johnny Gaudreau! Johnny Gaudreau is the best forward for the Calgary Flames, hands down. Joining me now is a man that I made a case should have been a Hart Trophy finalist. And while I may have come short on the lobbying, he's still tied for second in the league in scoring, 115 points. 90 even strength points, 12 more than anyone else in the league, most since the Armour Jagger in 1996. And because of it, the most sought-after free agent in the land. And he also made a little news a couple days ago by signing with the Columbus Blue Jackets. It's Johnny Goodrow. Hey, Johnny, I know the last couple days have been very busy. Appreciate you doing this with us. 
Yeah, no problem. Uh, glad to have. Thank you for having me. Uh, anytime. So, so let's start with Columbus. Outside a couple of dollars, and I understand those things are important. Why were the Blue Jackets the right fit for you and your family? Yeah, I, I mean, I did a, a lot of research, and I was talking to you know some past players, players on the team, and um, you know, I just heard so many great things about Columbus, and and uh, it was uh, a place that. Uh, you know, that me and my wife kind of thought it was a kind of a perfect fit for us, to be honest with you. It surprised a lot of hockey fans. Did it surprise you that it was this and this quick? Yeah, I was just a little surprised. Um, you know, I thought I would go a little bit later and maybe into the next day, into today, um, without signing. And, uh, you know, Columbus called and um, a few other teams were picking, uh, you know, kind of checking, checking me out a little bit, I guess, as you would say. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Columbus was just, a, you know, a really good option for me. They they expressed how, how much, uh, you know, how good of a player was. They talked talked me up a little bit, but it just felt like uh, a good spot for me. I know Yarmo Kekalaitis has been on the show a wee bit, and uh, as a guy that covered Raptors basketball for a while, I understand when he says we can finally get rid of that BS, and he didn't use the term BS, he used the real world, about somehow this is a bad destination or a bad city or whatever. Do you think that you can help change that idea now that you're there in Columbus? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, hopefully, uh, you know, we can kind of change that narrative. Uh, you know, we can get, you know, players kind of attract them to, to come here. Uh, you know, I, I was leaving Columbus yesterday, and I was texting, you know, close friend Cam Atkinson last yesterday, and uh, he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm in Columbus right now at my house. Come over, stop by." So we swung over and. Uh, he was like, wow, you're just going to you're going to love this place. It's it's a really cool city. Uh, it's a hidden gem. That's what I kept kept hearing from from a lot of people in, in Columbus. So that just got me super excited as well. I've heard that as well. It is a, a hidden gem. Now, I, I know that folks thought family reasons meant Philly or Jersey. How close was that decision? Yeah, I, I mean, I was I was uh, a little open to a lot of things, um, but uh, I think for me and my wife, we kind of came down. I think Columbus was a really good fit for us because, you know, we're not too close to home where we can kind of do our own thing and, you know, have our own little family. But, you know, we're close enough. I went an hour flight for, you know, family to come visit whenever they want. Or when I'm on the road, my wife can go home and bring the kid and, and uh, you know, go home and spend time with her family or my family. It was just, you know, it was close enough, but not too close. I know that you and your wife are about to have your first child, and congrats on that. We'll give you the... Tim and friends horns that's big things big things as we say here in Toronto uh, but going into the process did did you think that that would mean closer to home than Columbus because that's what a lot of people were like well Columbus isn't that close and I know that you kind of referenced it in your last answer but did you think going into the process that closer to home with the baby coming would be closer to the, than Columbus yeah yeah I mean there were a few options obviously you know with uh you know, there's a lot of teams in, in, on the East Coast that are relatively like an hour and a half, two hours away from where I grew up. So there were a lot closer options. But, you know, sometimes I was talking to a lot of players, you know, sometimes too close to home, sometimes not the greatest. And, uh, you know, we kind of talked as a family and we were like, this is, this is a good spot. You know, it's, it's not too close, but it's close enough. And it's, it's a lot closer than where I played for the past, you know, nine, ten years in, in my career. Understood, uh, especially as someone working in Toronto. I understand that too close to home can be too close to home. Uh, speaking of family, 
that that shot of you embracing Sean Monahan after Game Seven in the tunnel against Dallas was something out of a movie. And I know you just went to his wedding, and a lot of the boys were there. Have you talked to your now former teammates since you made the decision? Yeah, I have. He's uh, he's actually on his honeymoon. He's sending me a bunch of Snapchats of him in the pool, you know, just relaxing. Um, but uh, he, he's uh, he's he's such a close friend of mine. Uh, we basically were, were part of Calgary for the past, you know, nine years together, and you know, we live right down the road from each other. I mean. I bought a golden doodle because he bought a golden doodle. Uh, we proposed to our wives a day before each other. One day was her and the next day was mine. I mean, it, it's hard not to have a relationship with him because he's such a good person. He's he's just a you know, really genuine good person. And, you know, one of my really, really close friends that, that I have, uh, you know, in the hockey world. Did you know it was professionally a goodbye at the wedding? Honestly, no, I did not. Um, it was it was hard. I. I I was I was confused for a while there. It took me to pretty much the night before free agency. I mean, you know, that picture right there, you know, going back and seeing all my teammates, it, it made it really difficult to follow through with this decision because, you know, I did just see all those guys and I did just spend two or three nights with them. And um, and it was hard. It was really hard. I, I was I was confused and it took me until Tuesday night to try to just to figure out, you know, like I was going to go to free agency. Can you describe the defining moment in that process, or is that too much to ask? No, I mean, it, it was emotional. It was difficult. Uh, you know, I sat there with my mom and my wife, and and it was it was pretty sad. I'm not going to lie. I was, like I said, I got drafted in 2010 there. I've been a part of this organization for 12 years. And, I, I mean, I was just a 20-year-old kid playing my first season in the NHL in Calgary. And, you know, leaving now, I'm married and have a kid on the way. And, um, it kind of just molded me into who I am today. And uh, Calgary was so great to me. And I have such good memories. And not just from people around the rink, but from around the entire city, you know, restaurant owners, you know, place I get my hair cut. I mean, the, my, the guy who makes my suits. I mean, just so close with everyone. It was, it was really a difficult decision. It, it, you know it's stampede time in Calgary right now. In fact, it's on Sportsnet right now. And, and I think you've ridden in the parade. I've heard through the grapevine that your parents are basically celebrities in Cowtown. Like, how will you remember your time in Calgary? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was it was amazing. I mean, I brought my dad to the stampede one time, and he got to ride in the parade with us. And I, I'm pretty sure I heard more Key Gaudreau chants than I did my own name. And... <laughs> And that's just the way they they just accepted my entire family um, from my uncles and my brother to my sisters on Twitter, everything. They were just so warm, welcoming. And 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 it was my second home for sure. And that's what made this decision so difficult. But, um, you know, it, it was a special place in my heart. And I always I always remember my time in Calgary. And I don't remember any of the bad times because there were none. I know it's a. It's tough to sit at a podium and answer questions. I do it every day. Jesse asks me questions and I have to answer them. But that press conference yesterday didn't go over all that well with some in Calgary. And I don't know if you've heard this, but I think the line was, it was best for us not to go back to Calgary hit hard. Do you understand why some folks in Calgary are upset and really upset today? Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest, you know, yesterday I, I didn't want to I didn't want to talk about Calgary. I wanted to focus on Columbus because I am I am going to do something for Calgary and uh, I have my own little thing happening here to just thank Calgary for everything that's that's gone through it. But 
it kind of just caught me off guard with that question. And I, and I just wanted to focus on Columbus. And if I hurt anyone's feelings or I, I didn't mean it by that at all, but, um, you know, I, I kind of had my own idea of what I was going to do to thank Calgary and, and everyone and, and how special it was to me. And hopefully when they do see it, um, you know, they realize I, I had the best intentions and I didn't, I hope I didn't, you know, kind of upset anyone. I can see how emotional you are about the move. Was there something specific that you couldn't see yourself going back to in Calgary? Pardon? Was there something specific that you couldn't see yourself going back to in Calgary? Couldn't see myself going back. To, I mean, no, I, 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 I just, I, it was, it was a hard decision. I mean, yeah. I loved every part of my time in Calgary. I think it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was time for a change for me and my wife, and we wanted to be a little bit closer to our family and play on the Eastern Conference and, and just and kind of and kind of venture out a little bit. I guess I, I don't know if that's the right answer, but I mean, it like I said, I can't even talk right now because it was such a hard hard decision, and uh, yeah. And I understand it. And listen, I'm just trying to ask questions that folks on Twitter are asking me to get from you because we're mm -hmm. on in Calgary. And I, I understand it's not an easy spot to be in. What, what would you say then simply this way to, to Flames fans who are upset that you took less money to go to a team that they feel is behind the one that you just left? You know, a division winner. Your, your line was almost the best line in hockey. You were pretty damn close to, you know, a Hart Trophy finalist. What would you just say to the fans who are a little bit upset that you've left? And maybe you will say it in what you're describing here in the near future. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I mean, obviously it's a business and, um, and it's, uh, it's a hard decision for me to make. Uh, you know, I sat with this decision for a month, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do and, it was probably one of the hardest things I, I've had to do in my life. And, but like I said, you know, when I came in as a 20 year old and then, you know, coming up and, and 28 years old now, and, um, you know, getting towards the end of my career, not quite yet, but hopefully I can go a little, a little longer, but, um, it, it's, uh, I, I just, I just thought it was best for me to, to be closer to some family. And I, I know it's hard for, for people to understand that because, uh, it's not right inside Philadelphia or in New Jersey or on the island or somewhere like that. But um, me and my wife, we, we talked about it a lot. And, and we really thought Columbus was a was a really good spot for us. And um, it's it's hard. It's really, really hard. So folks should keep their eye out for something coming from Johnny Gaudreau soon in the in the Yeah, Calgary yeah, I have, I have. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I just want to have something coming out for them just to thank everyone. But um, like I said, it was it was difficult to. To, to kind of uh, the past few days for sure. Hey, listen, uh, Jesse and I had this conversation for a while. Sometimes you have to do what's right for you and yours. We all do. Uh, as I said, I'm a fan of your game. I said as much last year, and I wish you and the family the absolute best moving forward, especially in the next couple of months with, with Meredith especially. Thanks so much for doing this and answering some of the questions that fans in Calgary were begging me to ask. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. All right, be well. There is uh, Johnny Gaudreau, the newest member of the Columbus Blue Jackets here on Tim and Friends. Uh, we'll take the quick break here, Jesse, because mm -hmm. I got a feeling that some people will be writing in about that conversation after the break. Then we'll tee people up for the Jays and the Royals. So we'll get some feedback on Goudreau's conversation here on Tim and Friends. We'll check in with Dan and Pat as Tim and Friends rolls on. Jays, Goudreau, next. Sports 360.
Welcome back to Tim and Friends. Uh, an interesting and frank conversation with Johnny Gaudreau, who says he'll have something for the fans in Southern Alberta mm -hmm. very soon, so keep an eye out on that. As for the feedback here on Tim and Friends, Jesse, it seemed like it took a couple seconds, and now we're being flooded with responses to our conversation with Johnny Gaudreau. So why don't we address some of that? Yeah, so uh, Al writes in and says, Great interview. I'm not a Flames fan, but he is an amazing hockey player, and I wish him the best. Frazzle writes in and says, other than the family thing, it sure sounded like the travel was a pretty big factor for Johnny Hockey wanted to play in the East. He did specifically mention wanting to play in the Eastern Conference, right. too, which was interesting. Right. Uh, Nicholas says, people need to lay off Johnny Goudreau watching him just now on Tim and Friends. He definitely was visibly upset talking about leaving Calgary. Clearly, the city and team mean a lot to him. Sometimes people just need a change, even when they have to leave something they love. The, the one thing that jumped out at me was the relationship with Sean Monaghan. Mm -hmm. And we all know it's a business, but we also know that there are relationships in this business. And I, I'm reminded of a conversation that I had with a CFL player when I was working in the CFL who said to me, I don't get emotionally attached to my teammates. And I thought, that's the most ridiculous thing that I've ever heard until I actually thought about it. And in the CFL, you don't spend a lot of time with one team. And if you become really good friends with a guy, it makes it that much harder when that guy gets cut yeah. or treated uh, unfairly. And think about what his dude, Sean Monahan, went from to in his time in Calgary. And I wonder if that didn't play a fact. Like, he basically went from a first-line player to a healthy scratch. And if that's your dude, that would affect you, too. Totally. And it, that's just, I think, one of the things that we learned in that interview that he wasn't prepared to talk about when he was being introduced in Columbus. Like yeah. He specifically said during that interview, I just wanted to focus on Columbus. I have my own stuff for Calgary. And maybe he needed a day to just say, okay, I'm going to be a little bit more, I don't know if honest the right word, or forthcoming with some of the no, reasons. Because we learned some in that interview, to me. I, I think it's because he was emotional. Yeah. I think we saw that emotion, and I think he didn't want it to be that and knew it was going to be emotional as opposed to a joyous occasion signing with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, I think it's a lot less nefarious mm -hmm. if after that's that the right interview? word after yeah. that interview than a 100%. lot of folks in Calgary took it yesterday when they were reading the quote that was, it was best for us not to go back to Calgary. Right. We're not fans, so we're not going to feel the same way. And if you're a fan, you, you can even watch that interview and turn a blind eye to it because that's, you've already made up your mind. But hearing him talk, there were legitimate reasons why he left. He didn't want to be too close to home, but he wanted to be close enough. Yeah, but it feels like there's more there, too. But, he, but I, I, it was sort of like what I, what I said yesterday in that he, wanted to start, he wants to start a family somewhere else. And that's it. And, and look, who are we as people to, to judge well, someone who well, wants we're not, to make that but, decision? But when I asked him specifically, was there something specific that made you not want to go back to Calgary? Mm -hmm. And he asked me to repeat the question to make sure. To think about it. Yeah, which is, and listen, he's got a, I think he's got a PR degree from BC, right? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. he's not, he's Brilliant not, move, yeah. Yeah, he's a smart I do cookie. that all the time with you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you please repeat the question? Exactly. You know what another trick is? Someone will say, great question. Yeah. To buy themselves some time when they don't have an that immediate That one's obvious, answer. though. That, that happens all the time. Great question. Yeah. yeah. Very good. He didn't hit you with the great question, though. He no. said, uh, pardon me. I believe is what he said. Right. So, like, I, I get what you're saying, and that's, like, obviously when you say that to me, I feel like it's a PR answer. Mm -hmm. It's not like you and me are in the dressing room right now 
at uh, St. Michael's Arena or De La Salle around the corner from us here and we're just talking about mm -hmm. that conversation, like, I, I, is your answer somewhat different? Because I think that there is, obviously, he wanted to be closer to home and it, the playing in the Eastern Conference, I don't think people understand how hard the travel is out West. Like, Vancouver actually has plans in place to combat the sleep deprivation that the team suffers yeah. through because they're playing in the West Coast. Same thing with Seattle in Major League Baseball. It's a real thing. And being closer to home means that he's going to those arenas more often that are home. So he's going to Jersey. He's going to Philly. He's going to Detroit. People can drive to all of those no places. Question. They can't drive to LA. They can't drive to San Jose. They can't drive to Vancouver. And that's the division that he would have played in had he stayed in Calgary. I honestly don't even know when you were having that conversation if he was planning on talking about what like his barber meant to him or his tailor and people would you know, poke fun at that. But it, it seems like that was a, the first chance where he's he's publicly stated what like the, the city of Calgary actually meant to him because he didn't go in depth on that during the press conference. And no. here he was like, I actually have connections in the city. It's not just the players. His dad with him at the Stampede. There were those sorts of things that you were able to get out of him that I don't think people had heard previously and now they know. Here's, here's what I mean by if you and I are in the dressing room and we're talking. Yeah. We've said this before. Could it have been Daryl Sutter? Uh, Jared Peter writes in and says, how hard is it to believe that Johnny simply did not want to play for Sutter? Is, is that something that not enough people have talked about? I mean, he was the coach of the year. He, he's obviously demanding. He wants a lot. He also had a career year under Daryl Sutter. Yes. Like, he had an unbelievable year. Now, he also had two great line mates, and we'll see how long they last in Calgary as well. But that could be a factor here. Totally. I mean, I, I don't know if we'll ever get that answer out of him, ever, but that's definitely a possibility. We could get that answer out of Calgary. Yeah. We could get that answer out of teammates, or we could read between the lines and figure out if that was true. Didn't Play sound like it was, but that's why I was asking specifically, was there something that you didn't want? It's, I feel like Twitter was delayed in getting these tweets in, because now they're just... Well, once you start talking about in. it, people start weighing in because they realize they can be live on TV. Uh, McPhoenix, McPhoenix writes, that was a good interview by Tim and Friends with Johnny G. He was pretty honest there, and I can respect that. I thought that interview was better than his Columbus intro yesterday. Yeah, it made me feel like he was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that he was saving something yesterday and just didn't realize how it would play in Calgary. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, again, like I, I'm not a fan of the Calgary Flames. Like that, That's not what we do. So it's hard for me to empathize with their opinion of that as, as a fan. But from hearing him talk about that, it changes my perception. You know, what they're, you know what they're pissed off about. No, I know what they're pissed off about. Yeah. But I'm just curious if that would change their opinion of what they had heard from the press conference. But what they're pissed off about now. is worst team, less money. Waited too long. And waited too long. Yeah. Right? So all those things haven't been changed by what he said there. Maybe what he says in the future in the thing that he unleashed here on Tim and Friends will be unleashed on Calgary soon, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Cartesian writes in and says, I'm satisfied with Johnny Goudreau's responses. Thanks, Tim and Friends. Anytime. That's what we're here for. Yeah, well, I, I honestly believe that our role here is as the translator. And we try and get what we feel you guys want to hear from the players, the coaches, the analysts. That's honestly, I, I think my role here is to be the translator from teams, 
management and players to the fans and from fans to management and the players. That's what I think our role here on Tim and Friends is. So if we did a good job, hopefully you'll tune back in. Did you peep the uh, Team USA yeah. logo? Yeah, I almost the asked about it. the first thing I saw, yeah. Yeah, I almost asked about it because mm -hmm. you said he was just an American who wanted to be in America. Yeah, I was like, I don't know about that. <laughs> Interesting choice, Johnny. <laughs> a day after. He's American. Yeah, man. I'm just saying, he knew he was coming on a Canadian show. It's just a weird uh, flex. But regardless, great interview. A day after, a really. <laughs> I was going to ask him. It was in my list of questions. But what's he going to say? Yeah, I'm American. That's it. A day after a really tough loss to the depleted Royals. Jay's back at it tonight. See it soon. Standing with Blue Jay Sensor, 6 30 Eastern, 3 30 Pacific on Sportsnet in about four minutes. Alec Manoa on the mound against Zach Grinke. Here's the lineup, and it is much the same as yesterday. Top four, Springer, Guerrero, Kirk, and Bichette, all the way down to Biggio at the bottom of the lineup. Batting nine and playing second base. Ramel Tapia will play center and bat. All right, with more on tonight's game, let's end the broadcast team. Dan Schulman, Pat Tabler. Gentlemen, take it away. Jim, we talk all the time about the great young talent on the Blue Jays roster, and it's really around baseball, Tabby. There are so many good players just at the very beginning of their careers, and the Royals have one of them as well in Bobby Witt Jr. Boy, do they ever have a good one in Bobby Witt. You can just see the natural talent oozing from this kid whenever he plays the game of baseball. Pitch on the inside. How about how he reacts to that ball, lines it over the wall. That ball was still going up when it left the ballpark. He's got some speed, the fastest kid on this team. He's got 17 stolen bases. You want to see some springs in a guy's legs? How about this? Up, up. He doesn't come up with it, but the hang time is very impressive. He's on pace for 66 extra base hits and 31 stolen bases. He's also on pace for 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases. Shortstop's his age, the only ones who's ever done that, Fernando Tatis. And A-Rod, he's a special player. His age, just 22 years of age. He's one of the mainstays already on this Royals team as they meet up with the Blue Jays again tonight. Do you remember when I asked Dan Schulman in Kansas City about Bobby Witt Jr.? And I said, what do you know about Bobby Witt Jr.? And he said, he's Bobby Witt Sr.'s son. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> he is a regular. He's Damn regular. you, Schulman! <laughs> very I good. told you the kid was pretty good. Oh, my goodness. He is pretty good. All right, uh, here's the deal. The... Calgary Stampede, Still going. ironically, yeah. was on while we talked to the former hero of Calgary, the USA logo, Johnny Gaudreau, wearing, yes, <laughs> as Jesse mentioned a couple times now, the <laughs> USA logo, the Team USA hockey yes. logo on his shirt. Um, so Blue Jays Central is going to start soon on Sportsnet. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we're going to be joined by BC Lions breakout star and rare Canadian QB Nathan Rourke. We've been bigging him up for a while and we will talk to him next right here on Tim and Friends. Nathan Rourke becomes the starter here in BC, it's his show. Rourke finds the end zone. Touchdown! Oh my goodness. Count that, that big pen. What a night! Rourke, three and a half. Take it all the way to the house. Nathan Rourke to the end zone again. BC Lions make a statement. Nathan Rourke made a statement. Can Nathan Rourke do it again? Rourke, far side! This kid is mature beyond his years, man. Work A. Wide open! 
Kids, despite playing one last game than his nearest rivals, he still leads the CFL in passing yards, yards per game, touchdowns, yards per attempt, QB rating, and efficiency, all while completing a ridiculous 80% of his passes. 80%. And to the shock of some, not me, shock of some, he's Canadian from the BC Lions. Nathan Rourke joins us. Welcome to Tim and Friends, Nathan. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. I, I just rattled off the numbers, and I was bigging you up before the season, but even those numbers are a little crazy to me. I, I know you have to have supreme confidence to be a pro athlete, but are they even surprising to you a little bit? I mean, sure. I mean, you never really know what you're getting yourself into in your first you know, season as a starter and, and um, you know, was able to have some success last year. Um, in the two games that I played, but um, to have the start that we've had is, 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 is has been really cool and, and really fun to be a part of, and um, hopefully it continues. It's a long season. It's a, it's a really long season in the CFL, and so we've got to keep this kind of uh, momentum going. I know you would have liked uh, things to go better against the Bombers, but, but what's been the success or the key to your success and the Lions' success early this season? Yeah, I think offensively, uh, it's been the ability to spread the ball around and have a lot of guys uh, contribute. Uh, we've had uh, a lot of guys touch the ball in terms of our receivers, but we've also been able to get our running back, James Butler, yeah. involved in the passing game. And and uh, that just puts so much stress on the defense. It's hard to, for them to key on one person when, you know, all, you know, really all of our targets are, are firing on all cylinders. So, uh, and that's going to need to continue. Um, we're we're going to need to continue to do that uh, moving forward, just to put stresses on defense, like I said. And I think uh, I think our, our D's been playing well. Special teams is getting better, and so um, I think when the when all um, you know three parts of the of the of the team are are doing well, uh, that definitely takes the pressure off as an offense. Yeah, I feel like every time I shout you out, I got to shout out James Butler too because he's had himself a season. He's been really good. For, for those yeah. who don't know you, Victoria born, Oakville raised. Shout out. Holy Trinity and the Burlington Stampeders, and and I was I was bigging you up in part because you're Canadian, and it, to be honest, it's always shocked me that we, and I say we as a Canadian football fan, could never seem to get a Canadian quarterback to start in the Canadian Football League. Did you know after a pretty nice career at Ohio just how rare it was for a Canadian quarterback to stick in the CFL? To be honest, I, I didn't have that uh, big of an understanding at at, the, at that point when I was in Ohio. I was right. I was really focused on what I was doing um, and with the team, with the Bobcats, and uh, making sure that I uh, w- was with the team and in the present. Um, it, you know, obviously afterwards, when you're thinking about playing in the next level, and and that becomes a little bit more of a possibility, then you understand maybe the significance of of you know Canadian quarterback in, in the league. So. Um, you know, obviously I knew that there wasn't many, um, but I, I will say that it's, it's been cool to, the fact that, you know, now in 2022 that there, there's three uh, in, the, in the CFL and, um, and, and that's pretty cool. Um, that's a little bit better, I think, than what it has been in the past. And uh, hopefully we keep building on that. Without a doubt. Did you ever feel like the opportunity wouldn't be there because you were Canadian? I, I had a pretty good indication that I'd at least get an opportunity, um, obviously with, you know, being in this, playing in the States and I'm not going the typical route. I think it was, it's still very difficult for, um, for players to come from 
uh, the, uh, college in Canada to, to play in the CFL. But I think that players like Trey Ford and, and uh, Michael O'Connor, my, my teammate, um, are, are proving people wrong and hopefully changing that narrative. But I think it was certainly easier for me to come from the NCAA and and uh, uh, as as many American quarterbacks do. Right, right. I was doing the Ticats play-by-play when Jesse Lumsden came back to Canada, along with Darren Diedrich, who played at Nebraska. And back then, it was it was almost as rare for a Canadian to play, play tailback. Then Lummer torched some kids before he got hurt. Then it was Messam, John Cornish, Andrew Harris, and poof, the idea that a Canadian can't play tailback, gone. Uh, do you feel like you guys, and, and uh, I'm not going to put it all on your shoulders, Michael O'Connor, I did his games at UBC, Trey Ford, from what, do you feel like there might be an ability here to kind of trailblaze for Canadian quarterbacks or, or Canadian kids to play quarterback? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I hope that narrative uh, kind of fizzles out, like you said, with the running backs. I mean, those are all those people you've named have, have made are, are unbelievable players and have had amazing careers, and um, they've opened the doors for for the next generation of great running backs. And so, um, you know, I certainly don't think of uh, the things that I do on a on game day as as contributing at all to any type of legacy. I just try to think about right. the present and, and try to think, think about things I need to do to help the team win. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, if, if we can leave a mark on on the Canadian Football League and, and Canadian football in general, I mean, I think that's a that's a real honor and, and kind of icing on the top. So the, the, the success this year came quickly, this year. Uh, there was a five-touchdown game, just the second Canadian since Rush Jackson, to do that. And you did it with family and friends in the stands, including your great-grandmother cheering you on. That must have been a cool experience. Yeah, it's been super cool to play uh, in front of the uh, the hometown crowd and and being able to play in front of people who really haven't had the opportunity to to watch me play football uh, growing up and in Ontario, where a lot of the family is is out here in BC and um, and not and a lot of them not being able to even see me play in college and so it's been a real treat to have them uh, come to a lot of the games and um, I have such a supportive family. Uh, my parents have come to all my games dating back all the way to the Burlington Stampeders. Uh, uh, football days and um, but and so they've made they haven't missed many at all um, but uh, to have the extended family here as well is, is super cool and uh, I'm extre- extremely fortunate for that I understand enough about you to know that you live in the moment uh, and that's real key as a professional player uh, I know team success is really important to you but I've been hearing some NFL chatter around your name which is kind of ironic after spending some high school juco playing university at Ohio that it would take coming back home to pique the NFL curiosity as much as it is. Is that, is that something that still interests you? I mean, yeah, of course. It, it always will be. I think that you can ask any any type, any type player here in the CFL if they have the opportunity to play in the NFL, they, they would. They would leap at that opportunity, and I'm no different. Um, you know, I, I understand the opportunity that I do have to play here uh, with the Lions. is a tremendous one to play for a great owner um, and Mr. Doman and, and play in front of the great uh, fans of – of the, the Lions, and uh, this is a great team. It's a, it's a tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, if the opportunity comes uh, after this season, then that's something that I'll think about then. But, uh, you know, at this point in the, in the year, um, it, it's a long it, – it'd, it'd be a lot to, to think about, start thinking about the NFL after only four games. Um, so my, my, my focus right now is is helping us win and, and, and win, a, win a great cup, which is our, our goal as a team, and, and that's my priority at this point. All right, so instead of looking forward, let's look back. Because I, I, I talk to my son who plays baseball all the time about the journey and, and how – 
it can be winding and how it's not always clear. You went to high school in the States, for those who don't know, uh, in Alabama. Then you go to JUCO in Kansas and I believe had just two offers and ended up at Ohio. Uh, still no real NFL shots. Do you think or how do you think that kind of journey has shaped you into the man that you're sitting here uh, talking to us here on Tim and Friends? Yeah, I, I think um, a couple of things. I think, first of all, I think it goes to show um, the, the support that I've had. Um, it, people in my corner, specifically my, my parents, um, they've been, uh, you know, uh, there uh, every step of the way. Um, and, and through all those different places, I think it would have been very easy for them to say, hey, I don't think it's just going to work out, uh, this dream that you've had. Um, and uh, that wasn't the case at all. They continued to encourage me to believe in myself and to have the confidence to, to continue to prove people wrong who, who were telling me that I couldn't, I couldn't go to the next level, couldn't play Division One, couldn't be a professional. Um, and I think it too, I think it just goes to show how much I, I really, really want this. You know, I, I was um, a kid in Canada who realized that, you know, he wasn't going to probably get the opportunity to play the Division One level playing in Canada. So we looked at opportunities to to play in the States and, um, and I, you know, took a couple of different stops to get that, that Division One scholarship. But, you know, I was willing to to do those things with some very talented players who just didn't make it, but I was able to make it out of that. And I'm very proud of that. Um, and that's the desire that, that continues to motivate, motivate me to this day. Hey, Uncle Timmy's career ended uh, at Senator O'Connor High School, uh, separated shoulder, torn ACL, broken leg, grades 11, 12, and 13. But I've, I've talked to enough dudes that have played at a different level who say that JUCO tests your love for football. Mm. And, and that going to that school in Kansas Fort Scott, I believe, um, really, really tests um, a human being's love for the game. Do you, do you feel like, I mean, listen, Alabama, you know, you get that different feel where high school Friday night lights, we all kind of dream of here in Canada. But when, when you go to JUCO, it's not that. Did you feel like that was the moment where you like had to either put up or shut up? Yeah, I think that that was very well said. I think that a lot of times that that's the deciding factor for you is you go into an environment uh, where there isn't the the glitz and the glamour of uh, a Division One school with the with the crowd, with the uh, facilities. Um, you know, there's some coaches there that aren't the nicest. Like, it's all the hardest things, um, and really removed all the all the the fame that you might get from being a Division One player. So it really tests. Um, what you're really doing it for. Are you doing this because you really love the game and you want to get to the next level, or are you doing it because, you know, you want all the girls to to come to your games and stuff like that? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it was really a moment for me where I, I, I had to, I had to ask myself what I was doing. What, 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 why, why was I putting myself through all this? Right. And, um, and uh, I definitely came out of it thinking that that was the toughest experience that I've ever had. Um, but I was so, so glad that I did it and got through it and I could look back on that and uh, use that uh, for further motivation in the future. Yeah, it just builds a metal. It builds an intensity. Our greatest glory is not never falling, but rising every time we fall. I love it. Hey, thanks for doing this. I know it's a bye week, but the work never stops. Appreciate you stopping by and doing this here on Tim and Friends. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, there is uh, Nathan Rourke of the BC Lions. Would love to kind of dig a little. We've all seen, like, the Netflix documentaries about JUCOs, right? Oh, they're so good. They're very, very, very good. Very good. And, and I always thought, like, listen, my dad went 
We worked for Ford, long story, make it real short here because we're coming to the end of the show, but he worked in Detroit and I thought, I would love to go play high school football mm -hmm. in Detroit and experience what that would be. And that's almost more glamorous. Like him playing high school football in Alabama is glamorous. Like that's, everyone jumps in, you're a part of the community, sure. but going to that JUCO, man, that's tough ass work. And if you last through it and come out the other side better, it almost galvanizes. Totally. There's just such a pressure that, I mean, they called the, the show is Last Chance You. Yeah. Because it's your last chance. And yeah. that's a crazy amount of pressure to have for someone that's pursuing that career. Yeah, without a so doubt. So good for him. Yeah. That's it. That was awesome. And I think the next time, uh, NFL's come calling before, and it was kind of sort of as a wide receiver. I think mm -hmm. the next time they come calling, it'll be as a quarterback if he continue on the path. But understanding that he has to continue on the path is the first step. Time for a break. We'll get to last call. Jesse Rubin next right here. Ben, Ben, my friends, it is the weekend. Just to clarify, shoulder injury, torn Separate ACL. Shoulder, torn Separate ACL, shoulder, torn ACL. I haven't heard that yet. It is time now for last call. Boy, Nathan Rourke seemed like a good kid, no? Awesome. Yeah. So cool. I, uh, it, it's it's funny. Often they say don't don't meet your heroes. And this is a kid. He's younger than me. And but I've been cheering for him. I kind of been bigging him up basically yeah. since last year. It's fun to root for. And then when you talk to him and you realize that it's easier to root for him, makes it a lot for sure, <laughs> a lot more palpable. Quarterbacks have this. Uh, they have the leadership quality, obviously, but you have to have like a steady hand. And you could tell that he's calm, cool, and collected even yeah. during that interview. Yeah. It's just I think that's a natural part of the ability. Reason, yeah, I think that's part of the reason why a quarterback is successful is yeah. that ability to perform under the pressure of all that. Yeah. And then you kind of see it manifest itself. In an interview. It's yeah. perfect. Now, why don't we stick with the CFL? Because the CFL's last two remaining undefeated teams will go head-to-head -head tonight as the 4-0 Stamps visit the 5-0 Bombers. Last week, Zach Caleros and the two-time defending Grey Cup champions handed Mr. Nathan Rourke and the Lions, their first loss of the yeah. season. Will they do it again tonight to the Stamps? All right, I have a wonderful stat uh, provided to me by a uh, wonderful producer, Jason Sands, who says, only once in CFL history have two undefeated teams met with a better combined record. It was in 1961, Jesse. Edmonton and Hamilton were a combined 11-0. These two teams have won the last three Grey Cups. And let me tell you something, it looks like early a Grey Cup winner could come from these two again. Now, as I often say, when it comes to the CFL, nothing really starts till after Labor mm -hmm. Day. Mm -hmm. But early on, this is a clash of the Titans. Why are the divisions, why is there such a discrepancy between the West and the East? Uh, you could ask that for years. Like, it's just a coincidence? And then, and then sometimes, sometimes in the last little while, no, it's not a coincidence. I think that, that, that I mean, listen, everyone tries hard to be good. I think there's some shakeups and some injuries that have happened to these Eastern Division teams, mm -hmm. but take it real serious at West. We saw that for the longest time in the NBA too. But remember, listen, remember the West was like for 20 years the Western Conference was the only conference in the NBA. We screamed and yelled about a crossover in the playoffs, and the crossover hasn't really worked out mm -hmm. for the West. And the East team has won the Grey Cup with the worst record. A couple of yeah. different times. So let's get to the postseason. They, they figured this out. Let's get to the postseason. We'll figure it all out. Love it. Uh, okay, the Canadian women's soccer team beat hey. Jamaica 3 0 last night in the semifinals of the CONCACAF Championship. 
Canada will now face the U.S. in Monday's final with an Olympic berth on the line. It will be the first meeting between the rivals since Canada's win in the semifinals at last summer's Olympics in Tokyo. Remember that. Are you excited for another Canada-U.S. matchup? Don't, don't you think that the United States hasn't forgotten that? <laughs> yeah, like, I circled on the calendar. I would guess that this will be a fairly intense matchup, and I will be tuned in watching this because it will be remarkably interesting. Uh, how Canada, who has dropped a little bit despite an Olympic gold, they are sixth in the world in the FIFA World Rankings, which we know mean... But the United States is one, has been one, and they will be, they will be geared up for this matchup after what happened in Tokyo. Neither side has uh, conceded a goal yet, too, right? During yeah, I think that's just the strength of the two sides versus everyone, everyone else in that else, tournament. Yeah. However, however, that will all come to a head Monday night. Very impressive. Okay, this is a story that we discussed briefly yesterday in the NBA. The Phoenix Suns have, in fact, matched the four-year, $133 million offer sheet to restricted free agent DeAndre Ayton that was agreed to yesterday, but has since been matched. Phoenix had until midnight tonight to match, but did it almost immediately after Ayton signed the offer sheet, which was the largest in NBA history. What does this mean for the Suns' chances of landing that man, Kevin Durant? So for those who don't know, by matching Indiana's offer, the Suns can't trade the big man until January 15th, and they can't trade him for a full year without his consent. So he, he basically has a no-move clause, and that's why you see the Phoenix Suns, who were once among the favorites to start the season next year, moving down behind the Heat, behind the Raptors, and listen, I've said this from the start, and I feel like I'm reiterating myself, this is such a tough deal for the Brooklyn Nets, yeah. that's why they're minus 200. And I don't want to separate my shoulder, patting myself on the back, because oh, yeah. as I mentioned, yeah, you had shoulder I've issues. done that before. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've thrown the baseball with my son so much over my vacation, I'm having a tough time pulling up my socks. That's how old I am. That's unfortunate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I won't separate my shoulder again, patting myself on the back. But I said, I don't know if they'll be able to make this deal. And I, I think that the best offer that the Brooklyn Nets can get right now is Pascal Siakam and Gary Trent Jr. And I think that's why everyone's been talking about Masai Ujiri and the Toronto Raptors being in. If you're the Raptors, would you trade Pascal and Gary Trent Jr. for Kevin Durant? Goodness. Yeah, I would do that. The answer is yes. Yeah, I would do that. And a bunch of first-round picks. It, if you're the Brooklyn Nets, would you trade Kevin Durant for Pascal Siakam, Gary Trent Jr. and first-round picks? It's not what you thought you were going to get. So probably not. So there's your answer. And just, is Durant going to pull a Vince Carter in Toronto and have jumpers knee and not play? That's that's what it comes down to. Is he not going to suit up? If he well, does he's suit got up, no then... movement clause. So if he says yes, then... then yeah. Uh, okay, the, the World Track and Field Championships are underway in Eugene, Oregon. Andre DeGrasse's not had an ideal lead up to the event after missing the Canadian Championships due to a positive COVID test. But Athletics Canada head coach Glenroy Gilbert confirmed that DeGrasse will compete in the 100 meters, 200 meters, and the 4x100 relay, starting with the 100 meter heats. Later tonight, DeGrasse has never won a gold medal at the World Championships. Will that change this year? The form hasn't been good, but I've said that before about Andre DeGrasse. And then when he gets, to, he has a stage presence. He understands the moment, and we've seen that in Olympics after Olympics now for Andre DeGrasse. Listen, Fred Curley ran a 9.76 this year, right? Like, 
There are, there is the depth of field, especially in the depth of field in both the 100 and the 200 is pretty, pretty awesome right now. So it's going to be tough for him. But there's something about Andre de Grasse that makes me feel like I should never bet against him on mm -hmm. the big stage, even though he hasn't treated the world championships the same way he treats the Olympics. What was your fastest 100 meter? I've seen you run the 40, but that's now. What was your I fastest was, 100 meter time? When, you know you do the grad grid in high school yeah, yeah. and you list your pet peeves? Yeah. One of my pet peeves was my speed. Yeah. I knew I wasn't going to play any sort of football because of how slow I was. You couldn't get fast even with like dry land training, none of that helped? I could have. Yeah. Steroids. No, I didn't right. do it. That does it for us, kids. <laughs> a reminder, Jays and Royals over on Sportsnet. As we leave you, we'll look back at the week that was here on Tim and Friends. It's Friday then, it's Saturday, Sunday, what? It's Friday then, it's Saturday, Sunday, what? It's Friday no, Tim, today, Jesse Rubinoff over from the digital desk to the big desk. Because it's the first time, we need to give you this. The big desk. Jesse Rubinoff. Also looking dapper. You got to glow up a little bit. Big time. Oh, and just I, sit over here. I'm going to wear my Alexis on Fire Bart Simpson t-shirt. The attire on the digital side is like, it's a little different. It's, it's easy. Jesse, Biggie, and first things first, day one back. Let's do this. Jonas Valanciunas. Welcome back. Sounded awkward. It's oh, like localized. There you go, baby. Welcome back, I got Jimmy. your back. Mine works. Welcome back. Yours does it back on the little desk. I'm going to say something, Jesse, to management, okay? I, I, got, I got your back. I got a new chair. Though. Oh, you got a new chair. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's very, very nice. Nice. 55 points in 66 games, 35 of them goals. Mm -hmm. Like, you could tell that the Sens really liked. Did you almost fall out of your chair? <laughs> What's going on with that chair? I was in the middle of making a point about Josh Norris. I saw this quick movement. Chair's I know they have given you a new chair. It's a new chair. It moves a lot. It's You know those chairs that lean back a little bit and then they just kind of fluster you? And you're not used to the I'm lean not back. used to it. Now, this is the old chair. Here's the new chair. I'll just... And and the new chair is right there. This, this but the new chair does, does this, a little lean. This thing. Yeah. It doesn't lean leans back a lot. Well, I guess I'm too heavy for it. So it's just like a... There, there it is. I see yeah. what you're saying, yeah. So I gotta work on my balance. <laughs> Dude, bad core strength. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend.